Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If data is the new oil, then you can think of us as, well, car talk, because we focus on where the data hits the virtual road. With me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway, as always, is my trusty co-host, Andy Leonard. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I uh, just got back from the beach, um, oh. was in the Outer Banks last week, caught the eclipse. Nice. And... Uh, on a, on a more somber note, I dropped my iPhone in a pool. Oh. Yeah, that was brutal. That was brutal. Oh, no. I was going to say, is it working now? or? I have not tried to turn it on um, because I'm trying to... I'm, the other thing is I had my, I, my iPad that has a built-in 4G connection. Okay. So after installing some apps, I really didn't miss it that much. Um. So the only thing I'm really concerned about is getting the pictures off of it because I I was too cheap to um, get more space on my iCloud. <laughs> so I I actually have a um, uh, a MyCloud in my basement, which ha- if you install the app, it'll sync the photos. Well, for some reason, it stopped syncing photos on August 8th. Oh. So I have about maybe two, two and a half weeks of time that photos were not synchronized, including the first day or two of vacation, which is a shame because uh, my son and I caught our first fish. Nice. So, um, you know, fortunately I did send that to my father-in-law who um, uh, I have that saved in iMessage. So I can get kind of some of the stuff back. Right. Um, But I also looked at a lot of YouTube videos um, kind of in a panic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about how to repair an iPhone. And apparently, uh, if you have the right tools, you can take it apart, order a new battery on eBay or Amazon and a new charging port. Okay. And kind of put it back together yourself and get it functioning back to normal. Hmm. So I'm pondering, uh, you know, should I do that or should I just kind of just, um, uh, you know, call it quits or whatever. I don't know. Still on the fence about that. How about you? How was your week, Andy? You know, I had a really great week. I was on site with a client last week, and um, we had a, a really short sprint, uh, about three weeks, and we had to bring in a deliverable. And, you know, we did that. Um, I wish I'd had a little bit more time, but we uh, we did bring in our deliverable. And I was on site with our mutual friend, Kent Bradshaw, um, and he's also a fellow Microsoft certified data scientists along with you. In fact, I believe you two worked together on the Capstone project. We did actually. We uh, we uh, collaborated on that, and we kind of uh, succeeded together uh, in the final Capstone project. And kind of quickly, it was the Capstone project was um, it was hard, yeah. But um, it was built up to be kind of harder than we thought it would be. 
Okay. So when we when we kind of solved the problem, it was almost anticlimactic. Like I expected to to, to labor on this thing for like three weeks. Oh wow! But um, I think in about um, you know about four days, I I had it solved and I had a pretty good score in terms of you know um, I'm not bragging or nothing, but I did get a hundred percent on the final project. Nice. You should. <laughs> can brag. you can. Kent used a slightly different algorithm, and I think he got a 98 or something like that on it. Ah, okay. Watch. So. Um, you know, you know what they call the the man or woman who graduates last from medical school, right? No, what? Doctor. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I think one of the things that made it, you know, I won't say easy, but one of the things that made it um, easier was the fact that I did the classes in a compressed time frame. Right. Um, because everything was fresh, you know. Right. You know, from start to finish, I did it inside of six months. Wow. Um, maybe six and a half months. So I didn't have that kind of, you know, took the summer off and like, you start all over again. It was all, it was all very fresh. Very cool. I was just going to say congratulations to you, brother. Thank you, man. It's been an interesting ride. I also have other good news to share. Uh, as of today, we're recording this um, uh, Monday, August 28th, the day before we go out. Um, as um, I just started a position today at Wintelect as a senior consultant, uh, leading the data and analytics practice that uh, I'm going to build. Nice. So very cool. I've uh, already been on some interesting meetings in terms of uh, some interesting IoT projects. Can't talk about yet, but um, you know, if they pan out, it could be very interesting. Not to mention some other data science type stuff um, that we'll be uh, working on in the near future. Well, so more congratulations are in order. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, it was great to kind of go on vacation and before starting this because it's going to be uh, quite the ride coming up. Well, that's fantastic, Frank. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Wendelect. I'm sure it's working out well for both. And I uh, can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Cool, man. Cool. And congratulations for you, because this is a new client that you're on, or at least new as in a week or two. It is. Yeah, we started so. that one. We're actually, Kent and I worked together on that one. We're starting um, a new gig. We're kind of going part-time between two, which is something we haven't done yet um, before. It's usually full-time. You know how, how these consulting gigs go, especially if they're data warehouse related, and both of these are. Um, and usually it's just go, 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 right? 40 hours right. a week is, you know, that's almost part-time in this world, um, <laughs> usually 50 or 60. And both of these clients just want us for uh, for part-time for probably the rest of the year, which is kind of nice. It's unusual to be sitting here at the end of August and going, I need to start thinking about January. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a good problem to have, you know, to to be there of course everyone will be showing up knocking on the door and uh and i've had that happen i've had a few people call me out of nowhere and go hey could you come you know teach a class or help us with this and i'm like yeah i could probably work you in uh <laughs> we'll see <laughs> i'm not doing anything between like you know 9 p.m and 4 a.m every night so. <laughs> yeah if only we can kind of we can offload that our consciousness to the cloud Oh, be, uh... what it's interesting you say that, Frank, because you did a really good and I think a very cogent um, data point 
last week, maybe the week before. It was the week before because you were on vacation last week, right. mm-hmm. where you were talking about uh, people that are trying to do something akin to that, where one gentleman's trying to keep, uh, you know, something like his his father around. I don't want to say the spirit of his dad because I don't think that's what he's after, but maybe the mind of his dad around. Could you elaborate on that, Tom? Yeah, so this is something that you, you hear uh, Ray Kurzweil talk about. Um, it's not exactly the singularity, but that's one of the things, is the idea that at some point in the future, you'll be able to upload your consciousness into a some kind of computer, and you'll be able to live on beyond death. Um, and now that brings up a whole number of ethical, spiritual, I mean, you name it, like it, it, every can of worm you can think of. Um <laughs> is open by that and you know we we could comfortably kind of say well that's that's distant future you know uh although the the progress made in the last you know five years has said well maybe it's not distant future it's future uh but not necessarily distant future um and then recently i came across two stories um that uh well maybe it's not that distant after all yeah and maybe even more cans of worms are opened by this um, because so first was a story about a lady who um, it's not clear if they, they, they've known each other for something like 20 years or whether or not they were boyfriend, girlfriend or, or whatever. It's not clear, but basically um, they have chat logs uh, uh, going back at least 10 years and he died unexpected, unexpectedly. And um, she was a, I think they both were kind of data scientist types, uh, AI researchers. And she basically took uh, all their chat logs and, and turned that into a chat bot. Hmm. And um, then she shared it with some of her friends. And people said that the chat bot was very, you know, it was uncanny how much it was like their, their deceased friend. Wow. And that, was pretty interesting and she's actually productized that um to a point but is this the replica website yeah so this this she actually re- uh productized that into something called replica yeah. uh and her name is eugenia kuda um it's totally probably botching her name one we love to have her on the show because she she she's actually built something very unique yeah uh, in the sense that uh replica will ask you questions and it eventually it'll be kind of it, it doesn't quite become you but it kind of does become you and then related to that story is the um it was actually i think the cover uh story in wired magazine for the month was how uh james vlahos um his father found out he was having cancer and um basically he and his brothers um had recorded kind of interviews with him he was talking about his life and 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 how that you know, how he lived his life and what it was like growing up. And um, they recorded those interviews, then they had it transcribed, and then uh, he fed it into a uh, chatbot kind of framework. Hmm. So he can kind of chat with his dad via text message uh, anytime he likes. And, you know, he can, you know, he says it's kind of like having him around. Yeah. And that, to me, when I when I heard that and I heard Eugenia's story, um, I thought, I mean, it, it's a bit like a Turing test that way. I mean, if you have 
um, you know, the Turing test, if you're not familiar, is if you, you can not tell that you're talking to an AI or a person, then that AI is, a, is sufficiently intelligent enough to be, be conscious. Yeah. But this is almost like a personal Turing test in the sense that if I create an Andybot and I talk to the Andybot and the Andybot is so well programmed, at some point, how do you, when is that bot Andy and when is it not Andy? Right. Right. Now, a lot of people will say, well, obviously it's not you. Right. But what if the they get better and better at mimicking kind of a person's uh, speech patterns, not just speech patterns, but also their thought patterns? Right. At what point does a person become codified? And at what point is that person there? I, it just blows your mind. It does. And I love the spin that you had on this. You talked about it in the context. Since both of these examples, people have passed away, uh, you put it in the context of mourning. And right. for me, that just lit up a whole, you know, a whole slew of things about. So how does this impact the, the cycle of grief, the stages of grief we're so familiar with? Um, does it interrupt that? Or if it doesn't interrupt it, does it skew it? Or is it adding a step? You know, I'm really curious about about how that, you know, how, how that, I guess, how that impacts us as individuals when we mourn. And I think you hit it on the head. That's probably the most cogent point of all is if someone has passed away and yet we've got a chatbot that is a replica of them or mimics them, then, you know, for us, are they completely gone? Right. And then you get into the, the, um, you get into kind of the, this is what makes me excited about AI and this types of research is that you get into the nature of consciousness and no one's really figured that out. Right. And, you know, this is something that religions have struggled with for millennia. Um, you know, what is consciousness? What happens to you after you die? I mean, these are the big questions. And we're finally at a point with technology where we're going to have to be confronted with them to, to at least define them in some generally agreed upon manner, more or less. Um, I, I mean, or, or maybe not. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I mean, I mean, think about the, the ethical implications of making a chatbot, right? Like what, what if, uh, you know, his family objected to her creating a chatbot, right? Pretend that happened. Like what, what legal ramifications would, family have over creating a chatbot of somebody deceased like what that's interesting i mean what you know this is what happens when you work with lawyers for a couple of years <laughs> you think <laughs> of these things but but uh, i mean what what are the ramifications for that and and you know could somebody unscrupulous do something you know evil with it or could there be like you said i mean how does this affect the cycle of grief i mean if you live far away from your family and your only means of communicating them for the most part is through text messages. Could you delude yourself into thinking that they're still alive? Wow. And I think the answer to that is, yeah, you, you know, people can delude themselves into a lot of things. That's um, true. And this, and this could be pretty easy. And the wired story, um, the video they actually show, like he basically says, he basically asked dad bot, you know, do you love me? And then the dad bot, I, I don't forget what the response was, but it was very odd. 
it was clearly the AI, you know, working through an algorithm. Right. And, but I mean, at some point, what if that's perfected? Right. You know, what, what, you know, what, and that, that really, you know, people kind of, they, they, they posit deeply about, you know, the singularity of this, you know, you see the Ted talks and things like that. But I mean, what's that going to look like? You know, what's that going to look like from an ethical point of view? What's that going to look from a spiritual point of view? You know, what, what, do, you know, where do these people kind of weigh in on this? Um, it's just boggles the mind. And then you can also take the philosophical tack that, you know, in terms of defining consciousness, can you really define consciousness? Because consciousness is a very subjective experience. Right. I am cogito ergo sum, right? I think, therefore I am. But that doesn't work for you think, therefore you are. Like, I really don't, I really can't say if you experience consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And it's not just you, Andy. But I mean, <laughs> But I mean, you really can't say, I mean, and, and, and you could kind of take the, you know, the black box approach is that you never really interact with somebody per se, their consciousness in as much as you interact with them through communication. So it kind of becomes a black box. You don't know if that person is conscious. It's almost like every day is a Turing test and every interaction we have with people. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because we've been raising some red flags here and I think they need to be raised. I, I, you know, I certainly think that these chatbots and and this sort of thing that's happening now with Replica is it's not going away. It's just going to grow from here. And what is it going to grow into? How's it going right. to impact us? And one of the thoughts I had was more positive. I, I read a study recently about middle-aged males and the number one threat to, to middle aged at least Christian males, is loneliness. And so here you have yeah. a mechanism where you can solve that problem, where, you know, they can chat with someone. And I, I chat with my dad. He lives a few hundred miles away. So we text and, you know, I am all the time. We, we do Facebook back and forth. There's Every now and then, Dad doesn't quite have the hang of Facebook. Every now and then, he'll send me a very personal message on, in response, you know, in a comment to a mm-hmm. post. And, you know, you'll see these sometimes. I know you've seen them. It'll be, you know, call me. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like that's, that's Andy's dad saying, you know, call me. And he, for whatever reason, that's, he couldn't get into Messenger that day or, or, or what have you. But, you know, what if? that uh, the people in those situations that don't have someone to chat with, um, what if there's a chat bot out there that they can talk to that fills that need for, you know, interaction for you. I, I was going to say human interaction, but it's not human, but it, it's, it maybe it's close enough, Frank. Well, is it human if you can't tell if it's not human? Well, that, that's a great question. And I, I think, I think this is the, you know, this is the cusp, or a, I'll say it this way, this is a cusp that we've been heading to, towards for a long time with both technology and social media and connectedness. But I got to be honest, Frank, I saw a lot of this stuff coming. I didn't see this one coming. Yeah, you've, you've made some predictions a few years ago that I thought, ah, that seems kind of out there. And I was like, oh, it turns out he was right. But, you know... <laughs> Um, but I mean, it's just, I think what's, what's interesting about this, uh, is that, uh, you know, people have talked philosophically about the singularity or uploading consciousness into machines for 
better part of a decade or two. But yeah. no one's really talked about what that would look like. Right. Um, there was, there's, there's always been some talk about what that means for society if, you know, people don't die. And then, then there's the, you know, that, that, that opens up another can of worms. Well, if they die, but their consciousness is uploaded, didn't they really die? Or, or like what, like, it's, it's all very, um, it's all very, for a scientific field, it gets into some very, um, metaphysical fields, uh, pretty quickly in this space. And it's agree. just, it's. It's just fascinating, you know, and I, I don't know what the answer is or or maybe we won't have an answer. Maybe, who, I mean, who knows? I mean, this is this is what makes it exciting. Yeah, I think it's going to continue to evolve. And and I, when I saw the story that you put out, I saw the video on Facebook at the Data Driven page. Um, I was blown away. I immediately searched and dug up the information and... I, I, I subscribe to Wired. I actually get the hard copy magazine and carry it with me when I'm on the road to read it. It's one of the few magazines I actually read. And, you know, I, I read the story. I watched the video you were talking about. I saw the thing about Replica and I actually went out there and it advertises right out there that, you know, over time, as you communicate with Replica, it becomes more and more like you. And I, that just raised a red flag for me. I'm like, there's really no need for there to be another me. I'm just, <laughs> one is almost one too many. <laughs> I, I, I take, t- take issue with that statement, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, it, one of the things was my first instinct when I heard about replica is, Oh, cool. I want to sign up for that. My second thought was, what are they going to do with that data? <laughs> That's a good thought. And that was like kind of like, you know, I was about to like, you know, start typing in the, I think right now it's in kind of public beta and you have the, or semi-public data. And I was like, right. yeah, what are they going to do with that data? That's a uh, good thought. Yeah. What's going to happen if they get acquired by another company? Uh, what if, um, you know, what if um, Facebook decides, hey, we have a lot of chat. You look at Messenger, Right. Right. Uh, they have access to that data. They have access to all the posts that you made, the pictures you've done, uh, your live streams. And, you know, they might buy her company for a token amount of money to get the patents. Um, but, you I mean, like what, you know, would Facebook get into that business in some point in the future? Oh, you know, you'll see something that won't be clippy, but you'll see one of those kind of those things say, hey, it looks like your friend died. Would you like to talk to them anyway or something like that? I mean, oh, wow. I, yeah, I could I could see them monetizing that. I mean, I, I mean that. Uh, they, they mean certainly they have the data and they probably have the um the the mental brain power on staff to make that happen sure um they certainly have the money to purchase her company outright <laughs> true um and i mean what it's amazing it's kind of like we've trudged through the snow Actually, I'll use an example from vacation. So uh, off the outer banks of North Carolina, a new island has formed um, called Shelly Island. And um, you can get to it. um, It's advised as you go during low tide. And uh, so we went out there and and, uh, it was it was awesome. Um, And um, uh, it's called Shelly Island because the island is comprised mostly of washed up seashells. And... um, uh, you walk out there and then I remember walking as we left, as the tide started to come in, you know, I thought, Oh, did I leave something on the Island or did I leave something in the car? 
and I was about halfway through and I was kind of like at that halfway point, you're kind of like, well, <laughs> and I feel like if you look at when I had this thought when I was uh, thinking about the Facebook example, we've already donated our data <laughs> to Facebook. True. They True. could do this whether we want them to or not. I mean, they could, they could make an Andy bot probably by now. Um, they can make a Frank bot by now. They can make, yeah. you know, if you have a Facebook account, they probably could do it. Um, the question is, what's your recourse as a private individual to say, no, I don't want you doing that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, too, Frank, what, what, you know, if they can do that, what's to stop them from creating some sort of aggregate, right? Where it's a Frank and Andy bot. Right. You know, what? and what would that, goodness, what would that be? I mean, the accent alone would probably break most processors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's true. I mean, um, or what if they could kind of, um, one of the things that you do when you give your talk um, is you talk about how in 2012, uh, the 2012 uh, presidential election cycle, uh, how the Obama team basically ran simulations of the election, what, 60,000 times a day? Yeah, 66,000, according to a CNN story that came out right after the election. And I can't remember the guy's name. I'll have to look it up. But um, I, I was listening to his audio book. He was talking about data science a couple of years ago. It turns out one of our guests, Mark Tabadillo, uh, heard the guy present like the week before I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was reporting all of this cool stuff. But, yeah, they were able to run all these simulations. And, you know, when you look at the margin of uh, of President Obama over uh, Mitt Romney in 2012, it wasn't a huge, you know, landslide in votes. But as as we saw in 2016, right, it was the right amount in the right spot. Um, it wasn't nearly as tight as 2016. President Obama won the popular election in 2012. But for a while there, it was touch and go. And they credit this data science with, uh, you know, with helping him win the election. It surely it wasn't everything. But how do we know, right? I mean, 66,000 simulations a night, Frank, that's a lot. Right. I mean, that's that's crazy. Now, let me blow your mind one step further. What if Facebook says, you know what? We have chat logs on X number of citizens and they live in swing states. They could essentially create a virtual you and ask you questions about how you feel about certain issues. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> we wouldn't wow. know. We wouldn't know they would yeah. do that. Or they could. what they could do is they could aggregate kind of people by instead of creating a Frank and Andy bot, they could you know, aggregate people by someone who lives in this area, uh, has this income, you know, they can create an aggregate kind of average person. Yeah. And ask that average person questions. Um, you know, and they could create a chat bot and you can kind of, you know, they can kind of war game the election cycle. Like instead of running kind of just simulations on the election based on kind of, general trends they can right. they could theoretically given enough computing power um, do it based on real people you know they could test messaging that way so i mean i think if anything we saw in the 2016 election cycle 
was that the notion of traditional polling being accurate is clearly, you know, if not dead, seriously called into question. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, you know, one of my former jobs at at Microsoft was, you know, I would organize the live streams for the kind of the C-SPAN like panels they would have. And that was one of the things, you know, how do you measure, um, how do you measure sentiment in a world where people don't have landline phones? And most of the polls that are being done are done by traditional phone calls. And, you know, clearly that, that, you know, this was, you know, prior to the election. So they said, you know, how accurate is it going to be in the future? And it's just fascinating. So, you know, it's, you know, you and I are both engineers um, and, and, you know, with an eye towards the data science thing. And, you know, it's not unthinkable for you to build kind of chatbots or kind of, um, I don't want to call them entities because they're not, but I mean, whatever they are, you can you could simulate a person's thoughts in that way. Um, I mean, it could be, it could be very alarming <laughs> in terms of what implications that could be. So they could, you know, query for opinions about certain political issues or social, you know, whatever, like they could, they could do that and they could test messaging on kind of a virtual test dummy. You know, that's a, a very interesting line of thought because you brought up sentiment, and I've been playing with sentiment analysis for well over a decade. Um, years ago, I, I ran a, you know, just a, a big grab uh, among friends, Twitter followers, and it did some sentiment analysis on that. And I was able to make a pretty accurate, although there was a huge fudge factor, but I was able to make a pretty accurate call on the uh, on McCain Obama when that mm-hmm. happened, just based on you know, assigning adjectives to, uh, and, and exclamations, uh, negative three to positive three. And it was a dumbest, dumb little, um, database called Lang for language. Cause I didn't want to type that much. Hmm. And it, you know, it just rolled back and forth through the adjectives and adverbs. You can pick out nouns and verbs using the term extraction, um, from SSIS. You can do a term lookup then, with um, and that's exactly what I did. I ran a term lookup against the Lang database and brought those sentiments out, ran them on a scale. I mean, you know, if I was doing real data science, it would have been zero to one or negative one to positive one. But I was, I wasn't that creative, so I did you know negative three to three, and it was very interesting how closely that correlated again with a pretty huge fudge factor because I knew my friends were were biased a certain direction. The, but what you're talking about now is it's not just sentiment analysis, but you could pose questions, hypothetical questions to a, I'm doing air quotes, to a person and, and, and learn things that that person hasn't told you yet. Does right. that make sense? And, and yeah, that makes perfect that, sense. Not just that, Frank, but people's political views evolve. They change. Everybody's views do. So what if you're thinking, maybe not so much 2020, but 2024, 2028, you want to be president and you've got access to all of this technology. Who's to say if, I don't know, you're the owner of a company that has lots of access to chat logs and you've been making trips recently to, you know, early primary states. I'm being hypothetical here. (laughs) Sadly, you're not that hypothetical. Um, (laughs) 
but, but you know, um, yeah, what could you do with that? And and you know, I'm not I'm not accusing, and I'm certainly not saying it's all bad, but it makes me wonder, right? Is it is it an unfair advantage? Um, you know, is, is it any kind of advantage? I think the answer is yeah, it is. It certainly is going to pose some very interesting ethical and possibly legal um, concerns in regards to uh, what does that mean? And, you know, um, I mean, it, 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 the mind boggles at kind of what this does. And, and that, and that's kind of the thing, right? We, we, you know, everyone, you know, all the, the policy types, they, they, for years, they, for a couple of years now, they've been saying, Oh, we're on the cusp of a fourth industrial revolution. Right. And you, people forget because it's been a while. Revolutions are messy. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, going back to, you know, the agricultural revolution, you know, some 10,000 years ago, I mean, that was very disruptive. Yeah. And, um, you know, we don't have, you know, news reports from those times, but we have archaeological evidence that says, you know, um, you know, was, I, I heard this somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but um, apparently... Uh, the Indo-European language family is a, is a family of languages that's spoken basically everywhere from India all the way through Europe and um, and um, kind of everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. And um, there was those languages kind of split off into what was currently spoken in those areas. But one of the one of the root words they they they've kind of uncovered through um, uh, linguistic analysis is. Um, that the word for war, the root word for war or conflict, has, it basically translates roughly to uh, desire for more pasture land for cows or something like that. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it's interesting because, so, you, know, you know, you can easily imagine or desire for more cropland or something like that. But, you know, the idea that agriculture requires real estate, real estate then becomes power. Right. Um, that has been that had been the case, you know. If you look at the you know medieval Europe, right? Who who were the people in charge? People who owned the land. True. Um, and well, who says they own the land? Well, the people that had the means to pay the soldiers to say, "We own the land." Right. <laughs> right. And you know, then you kind of had that subclass of nobility that you know were you know would swear loyalty to the king in exchange for land, and then that basically let them pay for soldiers and. Uh, very Game of Thrones type stuff, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, then the Industrial Revolution, the the real power became money. Right. And starting with merchants, um, you know, kind of having enough, you know, more money than the nobility did because land wasn't as important as it used to be. Um, then what became power? Basically, capital became power, right? Hence, capitalism. Um Right. And now we're kind of in that cusp of, you know, what what could true power be? True power could be access to information and the ability to make sense of it, um, you know, and that perhaps that hypothetical uh, CEO and founder of a social network um, could 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 realize that vision because he has uh, or I mean, theoretically, this person would have. Um, all right, people, we're talking about Mark Zuckerberg. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> He, this is all public knowledge. This is not secret stuff. I mean, he's That's hired true. long-term political operatives and strategists. I mean, um, you know, so I mean, he he could realize that that data is the new oil in that sense, or data is the new capital. I mean, maybe that should be the theme of the show. Um, you know, that we would move into 
a type of economic system not based on capital per se, but based on data, dataism, if you will. Wow. I mean, that's, that is, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Sure. Because all that you would need to do that um, would be computing power and access to the data. Well, he certainly has access to the data. That's true. Um, and he certainly has the money to buy the best computing power he can muster. True. Um, I mean, so it's not, it's not a done deal, but it's not outside the realm of possibility either. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about that. I don't know enough about him, you know, personally to know what kind of leader he would make. I've heard good and bad. I think everybody's that way, right? We're a mix right. of uh, of good and bad. Frankly, I there's no way in the world, if you came to me and said, Andy, we're just going to make you president of the United States, I'd be like, no. <laughs> Forget, right. you know, and, and that takes all of the campaigning part out of it, which is just a recipe for, you know, digging through your past and and, and plus making up stuff, um, you know, about your past. So it's like, no, there's no way. Why would you know, why would anybody even want that job right now? It's kind of what I what, what I think. And it it just I, it's a combination of sympathy and morbid curiosity with. <laughs> Especially with the past couple presidents we had, it's like I wonder right. what in the world motivated you to do that. You could do so much less work and make so much more money, and probably enjoy you know a life outside of work, which is something you just cannot do in that job. I mean, look at the pictures of those folks in four years; they age a dozen years. Oh yeah, and if they make it through eight years, I mean, they, it's like they're completely different people. Well, yeah. I mean, President Obama looks, you know, he looks 20 years older than he did when he went into office in 2008. It's just, yeah, I, I don't get I mean, it. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, Frank Underwood in uh, House of Cards said something about, you know, power, you know, being kind of worth more than money. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what it is. I mean, maybe once you make so much money, you kind of get bored and, you know. I don't maybe know. maybe that's it. I I can't figure it out. But I'm really excited about the um about you know some of the positive usages that I see of this tech that we've been talking about. Like like I said, you know people who are lonely or shut in and them being able to not atrophy socially, you know? I mean being right. able to talk to something, I'll say. <laughs> it it sounds like someone. Um no, I remember too. Today we're talking about chatbots, but we're not that far off from making three-dimensional, real-time rendered avatars. Right. That could mimic. Fate. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's just. I mean, if you've seen Rogue One, clearly you can recreate somebody's face. Right. And texture it onto a three D model. Um, that's true. Does it look a little weird? Yeah, it does. But give it five, ten years. I right. Mean, you know, if you watch the original Toy Story, it looks a little dated <laughs> yeah uh, compared to you know something that pixar would produce now um but so and that's so i mean you can easily imagine that at some point in the future you know it won't just be we won't be talking about just chat bots we'll be talking about you know you can skype up with somebody who's deceased theoretically wow and yeah. you could harbor under the illusion that they're still alive no, it would be particularly effective in people who who um, only interact with their distant relatives through text or you know video calls or something like right. that. I mean, it's just 
boggles the mind in terms of what uh, what this unleashes. And you know, I think we've said it from an early show is that you know the the one of the things that's really going to make this interesting uh, is going to be the unintended consequences. Yeah. You know, I'm sure um, uh, the guy who brought his his dad built the chat dad bot did not, you know, think of these things. Or if uh, Eugenia Kuda had thought, oh, I just want to talk to my friend, but this could potentially unravel all kinds of things. And um, I mean, it's just it's just amazing. Like it's kind of we're in the middle of this revolution now, and it's happening whether you want it to or not. I mean, that's kind of the when I do my talks on data science, I kind of say, you know, th- th- this is happening whether you want it to or not. Yeah. And if you want to say and how things are going to unfold, then you best suit up now and learn. Um, that is so true, and, Frank. And you know, and don't complain like ten years from now when you say you don't like the way things have turned out. Yeah. And um it's it's certainly something that I'm excited to be on the on the edge of this, you know. Um and it it really goes back to that, you know, I've seen the light that Blues Brothers moment that I had. <laughs> um you know, it was like, wow, you know, cuz I went from kind of being kind of a casual not casual, but I mean, you know, I would build data visualizations to show to members of Congress or whatever and I'd be like, "Yeah, this is kind of fun." And it's kind of cool what you can figure out to right whoa this is going to change everything you know yeah moment and uh i mean some of the some of the stuff that they were working on um a year ago i'm sure some actually i know one of the things has been kind of deployed already so it's kind of like wow that's you know they really are moving ahead with this at microsoft i mean it, this is where they're throwing their weight behind you know yeah and that could be very interesting yeah they're doing some really fantastic work uh, i gotta give them credit where credit's due they're not the only game in town for sure but no. they have really come on strong and um i'd say if you look at uh if you just think about it as velocity or maybe even acceleration i'd say they clearly won the acceleration race in the last uh, 12 to 18 months yeah, this reminds me of when everything at Microsoft became about the web. I mean, they turned right. that company on the dime in the mid-90s. And I'm not saying that we're, we've not seen that type of, you know, major shift, but it's certainly shaping up to, let's see where they are in a couple of years. But I mean, You know, Frank, I may take issue with that. I don't know. I think this is pretty close to that. Um, it's certainly the closest we've seen at Microsoft since then. In terms that's of, true making a radical shift i mean you know I'll, I'll pick on the obvious one you know windows phone like if they had made that pivot yeah uh, when the iphone would come out or the ipad would come out we'd be looking at a very different device market today that's true um but yeah i mean maybe maybe it is i mean maybe i mean certainly it's a much bigger company now it's got you know more fingers and more pies than it did 20 years ago or you know so maybe I mean maybe that's maybe this is what it looks like. Maybe it's been so long, even I forgot. <laughs> well, I, I I remember because I returned from being in China for about eighty days on December fifteenth, nineteen ninety four, and I'm pretty sure that's the day that Bill Gates made his "We're going to take the web" speech. Um, right. That Frank, it's two thousand seventeen. That is almost twenty three years ago. Do you believe it? No, I can't believe it at all. 
<laughs> I actually, uh, on the way back, um, we stopped in Richmond and um, saw a couple of people and um, college buddy of mine, also a comp sci major uh, from Fordham, um, and his kids are now 13. Wow. We have a mutual friend who was also a comp sci major, same year, whose who's kid is like, like um, junior in high school, I think. Wow. And uh, it's kind of like... Like, oh, my God, like, what happened? Like, <laughs> that was fast. Um, Time flies. It really does. And um, it's just, it, it's just, an, this is an exciting time to be. And I think, you know, 20 years from now, we'll be talking about this and the way people um, talk wistfully about the early days of the web. True. I think this is a really, I think it's been a really great show, Frank. I think so, too. We should probably share some of the successes. Uh, as of now, we're just um, just below eighteen thousand downloads. Wow! Uh, which is uh, definitely something to celebrate. This will be the eighty-first show published. Um, Data Science Daily took a bit of a summer hiatus. Um, part of that was vacation. Part of that was uh, I'd been traveling for job interviews and whatnot, and um, so that's going to start up again soon. Probably after the Labor Day holiday uh, here in the States. And um, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we've definitely been lining up some interesting people to talk to, just a matter of coordinating with their schedules. Yeah. And uh, so I would say, I mean, the data adventure has just begun. I agree. That would make it a cool show title, too. We might call it that. The data adventure has just begun. I think that's a right. fantastic title. Cool. So with that, thanks for joining and listening to the show. If you have any comments or questions, please let us know via the website at datadriven.tv. And uh, any any parting words of wisdom, Andy? Gosh, Frank, I can't think of anything cool to say. This has been it's a great discussion. I always enjoy this when we get a chance to t- hang out and talk and do these shows. Um, I want to do another one. I want to talk. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I want to talk with you and Kent about that data science curriculum thing. But uh, no, this has just been awesome. It's been an awesome experience. I'd say thank you to the people who have listened almost 18,000 times. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. We, we didn't know what to expect launching a podcast. Um, and um, we've, we've, we've had a blast. I know I have, I'm not going to speak for Andy, but Same I'm here. guessing he's had a blast. I've had a blast. Uh, I mean, it's just been an incredible ride. We've, we've spoken to some amazing people. Um, and it, I was thinking like, well, maybe we should pick a favorite show. It's like, it's hard to pick a favorite show. It's like picking your favorite child. I know they're um, all awesome. You know, and they, 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 sometimes they go the way you think they will. And sometimes you're just taken to magical, wonderful places. <laughs> and it's like, wow, I hadn't thought of that. That is so true. Yeah. There's pieces and, in every show that just stand out. I mean, we could go through all of them, but yeah, just some fantastic moments in those shows where exactly that happened. We didn't see that coming. It's it's out there, and we were fortunate that we captured it and enga- were engaged in the conversation. It's just right. awesome. No, absolutely. So with that, I'll let the nice British lady take us home. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen. Become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.